growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Happy? Great. Sure. We want to be happy, right? You ought to be happy. We want to be happy in our marriages. But I'm telling you this right now. If your goal is to be happy in your marriage, you're going to end up, more than likely, you're going to end up with exactly the opposite of what you are aiming for. Life throws a lot at us, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like we're just trying to keep our head above water, just trying to survive. That's why we're spending a few weeks on a series entitled The Survivor Series. Unfortunately, some people act as if dealing with marital conflict is just just some magical thing that's just going to, to fall into our laps. Wait a minute. It did fall into our laps, but it's not magical. It's powerful. It's practical. It's possible to resolve, overcome, minimize marital conflict, but it doesn't happen by accident and it doesn't happen by magic. It takes something to make it possible. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're so glad you've joined us today as we dive back into a passage of Scripture that is critical for surviving marital conflict. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul lays out some critical actions that married couples need to take when marital conflict comes. Anyone who is married or has been married knows that conflict occurs in marriage. But God's Word shows us how to reduce the number of conflicts we have and reduce the consequences that can occur as a result of marital conflict. We started with this first needed action, and it was this. To survive marital conflict, stop trying and start relying. Uh, Second, to survive marital conflict, keep an attitude of gratitude. Ready for the third one? To survive marital conflict, learn to love third. Pastor Clay started on this subject a few weeks ago. He and his wife Cindy were gone for a couple of weeks on vacation, but now we're picking back up on this very important message from Ephesians 5. Now, here's Pastor Clay. It has happened again. Who says that lightning does not strike in the same place twice? I think that I told you all about this a few months ago. I received an email informing me of a vast fortune that belonged to me and that all I had to do was provide a certain amount of of information. Sure, some of it was a bit private, but well, it has happened again. I have received another email informing me of a vast fortune that is mine, that apparently I forgot that I had in the country of Nigeria (laughs) or just didn't know about it, but who cares, right? I mean, as long as As long as it's mine, I want to read the letter uh, to you. Attention, esteemed beneficiary. This is to inform you that the Central Bank of Nigeria, so, I mean, it must be real. I mean, that's from a bank. The Central Bank of Nigeria has mandated by the presidency of the Federal Republic of Nigeria to remit your outstanding funding, which is in a suspense deposit account here valued at 10500000 U.S. dollars. The management will also like to inform you that, your, that our remittance department has been receiving different requests from different individuals 
slash companies for the release of your funds and a change to the beneficiary status and acceptance detail and account details. Hmm. Somebody try to get my money. Recently, there was a formal request by Mr. Andrew Lee from your country for the change of the beneficiary to his personal bank through some individuals claiming to be your local representatives here in Nigeria. I hate it when people try and imitate my personal representatives in Nigeria. (laughs) The management would like you to send the following information for the successful transfer of your funds and also to avoid the transfer of your funds into a different nominated account. The information required from you are listed below, your full name and address, your mobile telephone number, and uh, any means of identification. Simply because of the intense rate of fraudulent activities going on in Nigeria, (laughs) you think? We have concluded to handle everything effectively. For further instructions on how your funds will be transferred, kindly respond to this email. In regards to the present situation, a lot of people are claiming that you gave them authority over your funds and are therefore advised in your own interest to cut off all communication between you and your local representatives to avoid being scammed as this management will not be responsible for any loss. The management will like to apologize on behalf of the federal government of Nigeria for the long delay of the transfer of your funds into your account. Please feel free to contact me here only for further clarification regarding this matter. Mr. Edward Adamu, Deputy Governor, Financial System Stability, Central Bank of Nigeria. You know, and I, I, didn't, have, I, I didn't have to do anything. I, I, I mean, I got to send some information now, but I, I didn't have to do anything. It just, it just fell into my lap. Uh, I guess it came as an email, so technically you'd have to say it fell into my laptop. But, but who cares as long as I get the money? Now, unfortunately, I'm afraid. That's how some people approach the idea of marital conflict. As if somehow it'll just work out. And can I go ahead and just say this and throw men, husbands under the bus? We're like the worst Wives generally want to resolve the conflict. Husbands want to forget the conflict. Oftentimes, husbands want to sweep it it under the proverbial rug. Husbands want to to just ignore it long enough until she gets over it, and then everything will be fine. (laughs) Right? Unfortunately, some people act as if dealing with marital conflict is just, just some magical thing that's just going to to fall into our laps. Wait a minute. It did fall into our laps. But it's not magical. It's powerful. It's practical. It's possible to resolve, overcome, minimize marital conflict. But it doesn't happen by accident, and it doesn't happen by magic. It takes something to make it possible. A few weeks ago, uh, we started this topic of surviving marital conflict in our series, the Survivor Series. Cindy and I took a little break, not not from each other, but we got away, and now we're back, and I want to return to this idea of dealing with marital conflict. Because, and I think I said this a few weeks ago, if you are married or were married, you know that it it 
it doesn't take long at all for there to be some type of marital conflict in your relationship with your spouse. What's my, what's my saying? Two imperfect people, my wife's already said it, two imperfect people living under the same roof is a formula for disaster unless God is in it. That's obviously what I'm always going to add to that. And a few weeks ago, I gave you two what I called needed actions for anybody that, that is married or hopes to be married someday. And our, our kids are in here, by the way, today. You probably noticed they're staying with us the entire time. Great to have you with us, kids. Appreciate it. Clearly, you're thrilled as well. Um, Keep, keep your parents in line for us. We would appreciate that very much. But I started this idea looking at two, marital con- two uh, needed actions for marital conflict and how we deal with those. I want to briefly review those and then pick up on a third needed action of the four. We won't cover all of it today, but I want to go over some of it uh, with you. Now, I realize that it's Mother's Day, and this is probably not a normal, quote-unquote, Mother's Day-type message. Okay? I get it. However... I cannot think of a greater gift that I could give to mothers and wives, uh, women in general, than to understand the biblical principles of how to resolve conflict in your relationship with your spouse. And by the way, this, and I think you'll see this in a sense, we're focusing on the context of marriage, but it really would apply to basically all relationships that, that you have and how you can apply these, these actions for all your relationships, but particularly, as Paul's going to deal here in Ephesians 5, uh, in, within the scope of marriage, okay? So, I know, not your typical Mother's Day message, but mothers, you're welcome. I hope you can say that in a few minutes. Uh, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, open it to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read the text as we go today, uh, since we covered a good bit of it a few weeks ago. And then we'll, we'll dive into them. So grateful that you're here uh, today. I uh, pray that God's already been preparing your heart to receive this information. Uh, the tendency is sometimes as we look at information that, that runs so counter to our culture, uh, and, and we are so inundated with our culture, the tendency is to throw up walls. And I just want to encourage you to just, just stay in a state of saying, God, just teach me. Teach me. What, is, what does the Word say? Is, is, what, is what Clay's saying up there, does it line up with what it says in the Word? If it doesn't, then... If it doesn't line up with what God says in his word, then, then by all means, you have my permission to walk out. I, I, <laughs> that was good timing. I didn't even I didn't realize that young man was getting up. So, um, but hopefully uh, you won't have to do that because I'll be teaching you what God says in his word. Okay, uh, a few weeks ago, y'all ready? Ready? Yes. A few weeks ago, we started with this first needed action, and it was this. To survive marital conflict, stop trying and start relying. And to say, to stop trying, uh, I would think that a marriage counselor, particularly a secular marriage counselor, would, would just have to be, their brain just blew up when they, when they heard me make that statement. Stop trying. Stop trying. How are you going to do it if you're not trying? To survive marital conflict, if you can do it God's way, you've got to stop trying and start relying. Ephesians chapter 5, let me read verses 18 and 19 to you. It says, uh, And do not get drunk with wine, For that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Won't go into the the whole depth of of the wine and drunkenness thing again. I covered that a few weeks ago, but the basic idea being in the same way that y'all may have seen a person influenced by alcohol, 
I'm sure none of us have ever been influenced by alcohol, but if you've, if, you've, if you've seen a person influenced by alcohol and the way that alcohol makes them do things that they, they might not normally do if they were not under its influence, uh, Paul clearly says, don't do that. that that's going to take you down a road that is not going to be healthy for you. But he says, but like that, let the Spirit of God be that influence in your life. Let the Spirit of God guide you and, and cause you to do things that maybe in your natural self you might not do. Right? And my, my natural self, I might not want to be nice or I might not want to give this up or do the right thing. But he says, but let the Spirit control you. So it's this idea of, of not me continuing to try to be better, try to be a better husband, try to be more patient, try to be more kind, try to be more loving. As I said, I think a few weeks ago, you can do that for a while. You can accomplish some things. Okay, I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be more patient. Yeah, you can accomplish some of that. But for, for a successful long-term basis, you, it's just not in us, quite honestly. It's just not in us. We need a power and authority greater than us. And that power and that authority is the Holy Spirit. And we looked at that text. We won't read it again. It was too lengthy. But that text in Galatians chapter 5, but particularly Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, every one of you ought to memorize it. Every one of you ought to, ought to read it on a daily basis. And every one, of you, every one of us ought to apply it to our lives. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That verse in there, you read all of that. that. That's what the Spirit produces in us. So it's not you trying to be more patient. Not me trying to be more loving. It's not me trying to be, you understand? I know that, understand that makes sense? Stop trying in, in your effort and start relying on the Spirit of God. That comes by yielding to Him, surrendering to Him, um, filling yourself with His presence and His Word, and, and, and then let Him, you're preparing the soil, so to speak, for Him to produce the fruit that you need to be the husband that He's called you to be, and for you to be the wife that He's called you, uh, that he's called you to be. Because that's the goal, ladies and gentlemen, to be to glorify God in this relationship. That should be the goal of our marriages, to glorify God in our, in our relationship. Wait a minute. I, I want to be happy in my marriage. That's my goal. Happy? Great. Sure. We want to be happy, right? We, you, you ought to be happy. We want to be happy in our marriages. But I'm telling you this right now. If your goal is to be happy in your marriage, you're, I'm just telling you right now, you're going to fail. You're going to end up, more than likely, you're going to end up with exactly the opposite of what you were aiming for. And, and your life will be this continual bouts of conflict that will vary in their degree of intensity, but will absolutely wear you and your spouse out. So stop trying, start relying on the Spirit of God. That's, that's an action that you and I need to take. Second action, uh, oh wait, I did, I did want to bring this up. I did, the Second Corinthians text, Tyler, because I, I, I think I forgot that a few weeks ago. I did want to make sure I brought that up. Second Corinthians 5.5, 5, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. Watch this, who has given us the Spirit meaning the Holy Spirit, that's why it's capitalized, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I love that passage of Scripture because it not only speaks of the, uh, the, secure, the eternal security of the believer. The, the Spirit's been given to me as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Who gave me the Spirit? God the Father gave me the, God the Spirit. And as a deposit guaranteeing what I, I, I've got a feeling that God's guarantees are pretty good. Wouldn't y'all say? guaranteeing what it is. So I love that. But what I also love about that verse is the idea that, that yes, there, there's something to come. And, and the Spirit's influence and power and direction and conviction, all that stuff that He does in our lives, that's, that's just a t deposit for right now. So in other words, that's just a, a little bit of what all eternity in heaven will be like. And we don't have to wait till we get there to, to enjoy uh, all that will be there, so to speak. We can draw interest now here by letting the the Spirit produce His fruit in us. Wouldn't you like to be 
the kind of person that Galatians 5.22 text would, I mean, can you imagine how your life, I mean, you like end up in a Disney cartoon or something if, if, if love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, little birds would be flying around you and, and, and singing and some little cricket is over there. I don't know. But you understand what I'm saying? Stop trying. Start relying. If you're not sure how to do that, tell God. God, I don't even know if I, how to do this, but I, I need to rely on you. A second action that we talked about a few weeks ago, to survive marital conflict, keep an attitude of gratitude. You remember that one if you were here? Verse 20 says, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Always giving thanks. And so obviously we're about to go into the context of marriage, but within the context of marriage, that means always giving thanks for my spouse. That was good. None of y'all even laughed when I said that. That was awesome. Always giving thanks for my spouse. Does that mean that you have to be happy or glad about everything your spouse does? Does it? (laughs) I received that word, my sister. No, like I said, uh, you know, we we can, we can just, uh, no, it doesn't mean that my wife, Lord God, thank you so much that Clay snores. I'm so grateful for his snoring. No, but you know what she can't, she can, Lord God, thank you that that clay is in my bed. Thank you that I, that I, that I have my husband beside. You understand what I'm saying? It, it's, it's developing this. And the truth is, anybody can develop this idea, this attitude of, of gratitude. Now, don't get me wrong. It helps to have the Spirit of God convicting us when we're not being grateful and reminding us to be grateful. But, but really, almost any person can, de- can develop. It, really, it's a habit. Well, we make it spiritual and call it a discipline. But it, it's the same. It's developing the habit of saying, all right, today I'm going to intentionally think of, of 10 things I'm, I'm grateful for my spouse about. Or at three time, different times during the day today, I'm going to stop and give two minutes and just I'm going to think about that. So, but that, that's critical for, for be, being able to deal with marital conflict. Why? Because it's hard to be mad or stay mad at a person that you're thankful for. If, if you've been thinking about Man, I, I really appreciate the way Cindy does this or how she cares about that. And I'm so grateful that she loves Jesus. You know, what, if, what, all these things, if I'm thinking about those things, then when, then when she does something that irritates me or something, if that were to ever happen, um, I, it's much easier for that to just, for me to, you know what I'm saying? It's able, I'm able to, to compartmentalize and put it in its perspective because compared to all the other things I'm thankful for, am I, am I getting through to y'all? Y'all? Get a lot of blank stares here. Uh, so you develop this attitude. Okay, so those are the, uh, the two that we talked about a few weeks ago. Now, if you were here, you may remember that I said that those two of the four needed actions we'll talk about, that those two were actually the easier of the two needed actions. And I'll explain why in just a few minutes. Now, even they can, are not always easy because we have our flesh and we can get in our flesh and, and all that kind of stuff. But those are actually the, the two easier ones, but all four of them are vital uh, for dealing with marital conflict in your life. If you are married, desire to be married, hope to be married, or pray to be married, think you'll get married, whatever the case may be, you can apply this in the context of marital relationships. Okay, you ready? Ready for the third one? Here it is, and this is it. we're only going to get even partly through this third one, but it looks like this. To survive marital conflict, learn to love Third, I'm going to read the passage of Scripture to you, uh, beginning in verse 21. 
and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Is it hot in here? (laughs) Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. In other words, Paul's explaining this, this is how Christ loved the church. This is what he did. He, 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 he made it possible for the, the, his bride, the church, to be presented without stain or blemish or wrinkle. He, he did everything that needed to be done. Verse 28, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. When I originally started this, uh, and you'll actually see that if you have an old program with you, I originally had... Uh, to survive marital conflict, learn to love second, meaning with, learn, learn to, to put your spouse's priorities uh, above your own. But then as I thought about it, I said, well, really, it, it's third, because God is to be the priority in all of our lives. God should be the ultimate priority in all of our lives. Can I get an amen? amen. That all of our decisions should be based first and foremost, primarily off of my relationship with God, and He is the priority of our lives. But after that comes this idea of learning to put a priority on others above ourselves. To properly understand, listen to me, to properly understand verses 22 and following, where it gets into the wives and the husbands. To properly understand verses 22 and following, you must couch it within the context of verse 25, verse 21. Sorry, And verse 21 says that, all of us, meaning all, all believers, are to be subject to one another. Is that what it says? Be subject to one another. Subject. In the original language, uh, the word is hupotasamenoi. Uh, <clears throat> Bless you. Hupotasamenoi. It, it is a present, middle, uh, passive participle. That probably doesn't mean much to you, but essentially what it's saying is that it is an action. It is an ongoing action. Listen to me. It's an ongoing action that is performed upon yourself. In other words, it is, it is the choice. It is not forced to, but it's the choice to voluntarily uh, subject or place yourself under someone else. It's actually an, uh, an ancient military term, which meant to line up under, to line up under. And so uh, we have the call to, remember, it's verse 21, and in the context, and be subject to one another 
in the fear of Christ. So, so here it is. I'm bring it up on the screen so you can see it. The overarching approach to life for a follower of Jesus is to think of others as the greater priority than ourselves. The overarching objective uh, for followers of Jesus Christ, the overarching approach to life as a follower of Jesus Christ is to uh, think of others as the greater priority than ourselves. Not better than ourselves, not better than me, not better than you. Scripture makes it quite clear that you and I are all equal, co-equal, regardless of, of uh, race, ethnicity, gender, age. We are all co-equal before the Lord. Amen. We are all co-equal before the Lord. The, 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 so it's not a matter of thinking uh, the, the person is, oh, I'm not as good as that person. or, or no, no, it's not that. But it's to think that their, their needs are a greater priority. I'm not, I'm not greater than you, and you're not greater than me, but I should look at you and needs that I might know about in your life, and I should think of them as the greater priority for uh, any given situation, that, so that if there's something I can do about it as, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what I should do. Do you understand? That's what I should do. Because within the body of Christ, we may have different roles, right? But we have a common goal. And think about this in the context of marriage. We may have different functions. We have different roles, but we have a common goal. And the common goal is this, to glorify God by putting my spouse's well-being ahead of my own. I wonder if I might get you all to say that with me today. The common goal is to glorify God by putting my spouse's well-being ahead of my own. Own. That is the biblical model for how you are able to deal with two imperfect people living under the same roof. I have to think of my spouse's needs as a greater priority uh, than my own. It is not easy, is it? It's not easy. It's not easy. One, because our own flesh, we don't, we don't like to be third, Right? It's not easy because the world says, hey, you've got the rights of this and it's individual rights and it's all about individual rights and, you know, and defined as they want to define it. And it's not easy, particularly for you ladies, which we're about to get to you in just a second, but particularly for you ladies because we men can be boneheads. But there it is. There's the overarching principle in verse 21 that if, if we're going to be successful, if we're going to glorify God with our lives, we have to, within the context of marriage, think of our spouse as a greater priority than ourselves. Okay? All right. Now, we're, we're not going to get to the husband today. I'm just going to t- tell you that. Um, but we're going to just get to the, the first part of how, how this is play, how does that play out? What does it mean to line up under within the context of marriage? What does it mean for a wife? What does it mean for a husband? You got me? Okay, I don't have much time. Just, just a second. Okay, just a second. Okay, all right, good. All right, all right. Here we go. Here it is. A wife is to voluntarily place herself under the leadership of her husband. All right, I can't, I can't preach this thing the whole time, but you get the point, right? Thank you, Joe Thomas. A wife is to voluntarily place herself under the leadership of her husband. Okay, 
What does it say? Let me just, let me just, let me just read it to you again. Verse 22. Wives, be subject. There's, there's that word. What was the word? That's right. Subject. Hupotessamenoi. To line up under. Wives. So let's just translate it. Wives, line up under your husbands the way you would line up under the Lord. I'll put this thing back on. Okay, listen, this is, this is what I refer to as the inconvenience of Christianity, all right? Because, because our flesh doesn't want to do this, right? We, we, we fight this kind of stuff. All, men, women, the whole idea. We fight this kind of, and the idea of, I mean, a wife, it's a voluntary place herself under. Are you insane? Are you insane? This is, this, is, this is crazy. This is the 21st century. A wife doesn't have to place herself under her husband's leadership. A, a wife doesn't have to, 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 to just be treated like a second-class citizen by her husband. No, she doesn't, by the way. And she shouldn't be treated by a sec, like a second-class hu- person by her husband. But if you're here and you're a wife and you're a follower of Jesus Christ or you hope to be a wife someday, and you want to honor God with your role in the marriage, remember, that's the goal, you want to honor God with your role in the marriage, then you are called to line up under your husband's leadership in your home, in your, in your life. That's called, it is the inconvenience of Christianity that calls us to do that stuff. But you know this verse, it's a theme verse of Cross Culture Church, Luke nine twenty three. Then Jesus said to them all, if anyone wants to follow me, he must give up himself and his own desires. He must take up his cross every day and follow me. Now, I'm not saying, ladies, that you ought to look at your husbands as a cross to bear. But it is the, the symbol here, the idea here is, is the cross was an instrument of death and that every day men and women are choosing in my role, if I, want, if I want to honor God in my marital relationship, I'm gonna choose to put my wife's priorities ahead of mine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna and she vice versa, I'm gonna choose to line up under. Now next week, we'll, Lord willing, we'll get to how a man does that, how a man lines up under his wife by, by loving her as Christ loved the church. So ladies, don't let your husbands uh, get out of next week, bring them back. But, but the point is that for men and for women, the idea is to say, it's not about me. I don't, it's, it's, I'm every day, I'm dying to myself when whatever it is I desire or want to do or ambitions or dreams, when I, those things, when they conflict with what is in the best interests of my wife or, you know, my, my husband. I, you understand? That's where we're going. That's what we're saying about that. Okay? Now, by the way, in everything, you notice we read in the text there, in everything, I need to say this, Wife, be subject to your husbands as you would to the Lord in everything. Does not give a husband the right to force his wife to line up under him. Does not give a husband the right to force his wife to submit or subject to him. That's called slavery. That is not a scriptural model. That is not what God is asking you to do. No, wives, ladies, God is asking you to voluntarily say, I'm going to line up under my husband because that's what scripture says. It's not, don't, my neighbors think I'm insane. My family thinks I'm crazy. The world is dialing the hotline to the funny farm. But God says, wives, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to line up under your husbands. I'm asking you to let them take the lead in your relationship, in your role in, in this thing called the, the family. But in everything does not give the husband the right to force 
a wife to do that. And if he does, he is wrong, he is out of God's will, and there'll be consequences for that. And if she does not, if she chooses not to line up, if she says, well, I don't, I don't care, I'm not, he's an idiot, I'm not lining up under him. I had a lady tell me that one time. He's an idiot, I'm not lining up under him. Because listen, I want you to understand this. The, your, the choice of a wife to line up under her husband, and, and we'll get to maybe somehow that plays out when we get to the men next week, but to, the choice to, to choose to do that is not based on the fact that he's better than you. He's not. It's not based on the fact that he's smarter than you. He's clearly not. And listen to me, because this is important. It's not based on whether he's right or not in the particular thing you're discussing. He very well may not be. That's not the point. The point is that God has has given him authority in the home that he is responsible for, and he is asking a wife to to voluntarily, I keep saying that's the key, to voluntarily choose to come up under her husband's leadership in the home and and the things that would would transpire in the home. Now, real quickly, I know we're running out of time. Real quickly, let me say this. There is an exception to this, okay? Wives, there is an exception to this. But we really need to close right now, so I'll, no, I'm I'm just kidding. (laughs) There is an exception to this. There's an exception to this. And, and it's, it's what I call the Acts 5.29 rule. Here's what it is. Acts 5.29 says this. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. So in other words, if you are married to a man that asks you to do something or tries to lead you to do something or is physically abusive to you or, or, or anything like that, that would be unbiblical. You must obey God and not men. See, in, in Acts 5, uh, the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and, and they had authority, even though they were under Roman rule, Rome had given them authority to, to basically oversee the country. So they had authority, and they came to the apostles, and they said, stop talking about Jesus. Stop spreading the, the news about Jesus. Well, that directly conflicted what God said. Maybe you've read this verse, Matthew chapter 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go make disciples. Go make followers of Jesus. So they had to say in Acts chapter 5, we got to obey God. They got beat. They got thrown in prison. All the stuff. They said, we must obey God rather than men. So there's an exception, ladies. Your husband that wants you to do something that is unbiblical, that is unscriptural, that is not what God would want for you. And listen, it's not just, well, I just don't think God would want me to do that. No, it's, not, it's not that. What does Scripture say? I just don't believe God would want me to move to Alaska. What does Scripture say? So that's the exception. If, if, if it's something that's, that doesn't jive with Scripture... There's no expectation that a wife would line up under or would place herself under that husband's leadership in that case because he's leading in a direction that is contrary to God. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? Okay, let me give you, let me real quickly give you kind of a modern example of this. Uh, I think it was just this week, could have been last week, I think it was this week, I read that the state of California uh, was about to pass a law. I think it may have gotten frozen or some parents rose up or something. They, I think it may have stopped. I'm not sure. But they're passing a law. The state legislature in California is passing a law mandating that parents who have their elementary age children in public school system may not opt out of a sex education class that they are teaching that intentionally promotes uh, homosexuality, transgenderism, and, and premarital sex. The, the class is designed to promote those elements of their se- sexuality. And parents may not, it will be against the law for them to, to withhold their children from that class. 
that is a case where followers of Jesus Christ have to say, uh-uh, we must obey God rather than men because God speaks too clearly about our sexuality and, and how it's to be expressed. He speaks too clearly about uh, our children and the parents' responsibility to protect their children. And so a parent, now listen, parents might have to go to jail. Parents might have to pay fines or have heavy legal fees. We must obey God rather than men. So, so that's the exception for, for any of us as followers of Jesus Christ. But within the context of marriage, ladies, uh, no, no expectation that you should submit as a result of that. Let, 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 me, let, me just get, let me real quickly give you an illustration that somebody's not going to like. As honest as I can be, as God is my witness, I do not know of a single person that I've ever known in my life, another, a person on this planet that understands and practices this principle of learning to love third more than my wife, Cindy. Does, does she always like it? Nope. Does she sometimes complain about it? Yep. But I don't know of anybody that practices this principle of learning to love third more than my wife. She's, she's been that way. Now, some of you some of you that know me or know a little bit about us or whatever know that there's kind of this standing running joke uh, that Clay is a very well cared for man. Some of y'all know this running joke. Clay is very, he's very well taken care of. He's very well taken. And, and it's true. It's true. What my wife does for me is amazing. It's, it's unbelievable. All, everything that, that she does for me. And she has on more than one occasion reminded me, if I die before you do, you're going to be a world of hurt, buddy. <laughs> And she's right. I, I'm going to be. I, I know. I'm, I'm going to be. Let me just give you a little, a little example. Uh, and she doesn't, even, she, she doesn't even think about this. She doesn't even know about this. But uh, a couple weeks ago, just a couple days before we left uh, to go on our vacation, uh, Cindy texted me up my office, tell me that lunch was ready, as she does every day. And I went downstairs, and she had prepared hot ham dish for us to eat. And she had fixed it, and it was on my plate, and uh, come in and sit down watch HGTV, fix her upper, and uh, she, had, she had prepared hot ham dish, and I sat there and ate my hot ham dish. It was delicious. She had also laid out on the table a little baggie of uh, fried chicken tenders that, she had, uh, that we'd, she'd prepared for dinner a couple of nights before, and she got them out of the fridge because uh, I like cold chicken uh, from the fridge fried, and she set them out there in the baggie. So I ate my uh, hot ham dish, as I said, it was delicious. And as I was watching Fixer Up, I opened the bag and I began to, to eat some of the chicken tenders. I squeezed some honey mustard uh, on my plate and I began to dip my chicken tenders in there. They were equally delicious uh, as I ate them. So I watched Fixer Upper. There were five or six of them in the bag. I don't remember exactly. But at some point, I had eaten what I'd want to eat and I began to seal the bag up. And as I began to seal the bag up, Cindy reached over and took the bag and she said, I'll, I'll eat those. Now, she didn't say anything. I didn't say anything at the time, but, uh, but I thought, that, that's, that's Cindy. She, she, w- she would sit there and let me eat every single one of them and never say a word for me to eat. Did she want chicken tenders? Yep. Did she deserve chicken tenders since she made them? Yep. Did she have every right to, to be reaching in there as I was reaching in? Absolutely. But she chose to make, to, uh, I, I just believe in this, what she's saying. I, I want him to be Satisfied. I want him to have all that he wants. Now, might she have thought afterwards, I'd like to have had some of them chicken tenders? She might. She might have thought, what a pig. I can't believe he sat there and ate all of those chicken tenders. 
She might, think, she might think that. And some of you might think, well, she's the one that made you that way. If she wants chicken tenders, she ought to just have chicken tenders. She deserves them. She made them. She has a right to them just as much as you do. She wants them. She just ought to have them. And all of that, of course, is absolutely true. But you know what I think the Lord would say? I just honestly believe the Lord would say, even over something so silly as that, I think the Lord would say, thank you, my daughter, for choosing to learn to love third. That, that, that's what we're talking about here, ladies. Man, I know it's not easy. And the world laughs at this stuff. The world mocks this stuff. And, and sooner or later, you and I have to decide, am I going to believe God or am I going to believe the world? Listen, uh, I bring this up on the screen so that you can see it. The call to follow Christ has always been about giving up my rights, laying down my life, and thinking of others as a greater priority than myself. That, that's it. That's, that's always been our call. And that'll never change. In Galatians chapter 5 Apostle Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brethren. You're free in Christ. It's right. And you hear people say, oh, I'm free in Christ. I can do what I want. No. Paul says, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, to operate in the flesh, to think in the flesh, to to be about you. But through love, serve one another. That's the call for followers of Jesus Christ. Husbands, we, we got that same call, verse 21, to line up under everyone else. Within the context of marriage, what your role is to your wife and how you do that, how do you line up under your wife? Lord willing, we'll talk about that next week. Listen to me and I'll close. When this service is over, it's tonight getting in a car and we're driving to Illinois for me to do the funeral of a very good friend, a very dear friend who was a pastor I served under in Tennessee. I surrendered to ministry under his ministry. He was tragically killed in an automobile accident Thursday. He and Pam have been married for 45 years and like that, was gone. I'm telling you, don't waste this thing. Don't waste it. I know it's frustrating. I know it's aggravating. I know at times you want to strangle them. God says there's a better way. And that way begins with learning to love third. Learning to love third. It's not easy. We know that God is to be first in our lives, but it can be hard to put others, even our spouse, ahead of ourselves, especially when we feel that they are not doing the same. Today, Pastor Clay focused on a wife's call to put herself under her husband's leadership. That sounds strange to modern ears, but God's counsel for a successful marriage is much better than anything the world would offer. Next week, Pastor Clay is going to dive into the husband's call to place his interests under his wife's and share a final needed action when we face marital conflict. We hope you can be with us. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. 
Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.